of According to RP on WJMS Radio. It's your girl Rita Pierre, your host. And as always, I hope you guys are striving, thriving, and surviving in these corona-infested streets. So I just wanted to take this time and thank all of you who have been avidly tuning in to According to RP. I don't think I do so much of that on the actual show. I know I say thank you in my posts and things like that, but I really just wanted to take the time and thank you guys for continuously supporting According to RP. It's been, I think, I don't know if it's been three years yet, but I think it's definitely been over two years since we've been at it. And I remember when I started off, I thought that I was just going to do six months of this and then I was going to be done. But six months has turned into over two years <laughs> and you guys have still some of you guys my day ones have still stayed strong with me and then over time I've acquired some new uh according to our P family members so I just wanted to say thank you for just um you know tuning in giving feedback those of you who follow me on Instagram I thoroughly enjoy the back and forth exchange under my posts <laughs> You guys know who you are, uh, but just thanks for the support because in a time when everybody and their mother has a platform and is put, pushing out content, it's hard sometimes to kind of, I don't want to use the word compete, but in a sense, that's kind of what it is, right? Um, just, I guess, competing for other, for the attention of, of everyone, right? In the midst of all of these different platforms and different programmings that's going on so it really does mean a lot that I still have captured your attention for so long and you guys are not so tired of me yet but I also like to think that we try to improve over here at according to RP we try to add some new segments and we just try to make sure that the guests um, the guest list is on fire or somewhat on fire <laughs> just so that we can you know keep giving value because that's the whole real reason of this platform it's to inform it's to educate and it's to really just provide value to the listeners so thank you thank you thank you so today's show is not going to be a long one. PB has abandoned me today. He gave me two weeks back to back. So I guess I can't ask for too much more, uh, but he's not here today, but he will be back uh, next month um, for our monthly, our monthly check in. Um, but today we're going to go through our preliminaries, you know, the Urban Dictionary. We're going to go through the big up of the week, the womp womp. And then I'm just going to have um, just a short conversation with respect to the state of, I don't know, I've been, I've been really on this, like the state of blackness lately. Um, I mean, the platform is, is a pro black platform and we talk about everything black community, but you know, the last couple of weeks, weeks we've talked about, um, you know, the, the, the presidential elections, we've talked about, you know, Nick Cannon, Kanye West and all, all within this realm of, um, blackness though like blacks blackness in politics and then just this idea of what exactly do we want as a people you know we're out here fighting for these rights we're out here fighting to be included um but you know we're we're out here fighting to have representation but do we really understand like what it is that we truly want and need um and we, this conversation always tends to come up around the elections, right? I mean, when Obama was in power, everybody was, you know, vying and vying for and lobbying or whatever for, um, for Obama. And then, like, once he got in the office, we had a lot of black people who were a little disappointed because they had an expectation of a black man being in office. And that expectation was not fulfilled. And we're seeing that with Kamala Kamala, Kamala Harris. Although my mother did call her Kamala this week. This is why I tell people I have issues with names. My Haitian mother ruins names for me. She legit called her Kamala. Um, so Kamala, um, a lot, you know, there it's it's that same situation that's happening now. The same thing that happened with the Obama with Obama is the same rhetoric that's going on now with uh Kamala Harris. And so you know, just thinking about some of the past episodes and just some of the uh, conversations I've had with friends just kind of led me to want to have, I don't know if it's a monologue, I'm talking to myself and you, <laughs> it's not a real conversation, but I guess, you know, just share my thoughts. I want to kind of just share my thoughts on what I've been observing, uh, particularly with the movement. Um, I feel like the fire is starting to die. The light is starting to dim a little bit. Um, and I believe, 
on earlier episodes, I had alluded to this, you know, our culture, our community is very fickle and we are an interesting bunch when the iron strikes wear on it. Um, but you know, after, after I guess the initial shock and the initial, um, outrage and all this other stuff, we slowly start to get back to our normal selves where race and inequality is just a thing that we have to deal with. Um, and, and the fight is no longer there and we have to, particularly in these times where there's so much at stake, not to say that the other times things weren't at stake, but I just feel like right now, you know, we're in a global pandemic health crisis that we're in this global pandemic or this national pandemic with respect to um, race and inequality. Right. And then we have the gun violence that's just, you know, destroying our communities not just here in new york city but you know chicago and a lot of the inner cities and around uh the united states and so there's so many things that are going on right now that deserve our attention that that deserve our fight that deserve um you know are just coming forth and 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 saying that hey we want to put a stop to these things there's so many different things that we need to be concerned with and i find that we're not really concerned the way that we need to be like, we're not concerned about what's going on on our communities in our block, in our borough, in our city, around the country. We're not as concerned and it's showing it's showing because I'm not seeing as many woke posts as I did in the beginning. I'm not seeing, you know, as many rallies. I'm not seeing as many, you know, just different forms of support that was taking place, you know, right when things were hot and popping in like March. Right. Um, so I am going to talk a little bit about that because I think it is concerning. And I think that if we don't, um, you know, get our stuffs together, it's not going to look good because things don't seem to be getting that much better. And which means that they're going to get worse. Right. And so we really need to be vigilant and we need to be mindful, but we also need to be proactive. So I will talk a little bit about that. So (laughs) before we get into the meat of the show, obviously it is time for our preliminaries. So it is now time for our Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? May I have the definition? Um, What does keep keep mean? What's on fleek? Can you use it in a sentence? I've been on fleek, Jalit. And it's going to be lit. Major key. It's time for the Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week. So this week's Urban Dictionary word or phrase of the week is double dog dare. Now, I've heard this term several times before, mostly out of the mouths of white people, though. I don't know if I ever heard a black person say I double dog dare you. But for whatever reason, when I saw it, I was like, I remember hearing this somewhere. I think it, I might have seen it. I might have seen it in some movies or heard it in in a movie or two, but I'm pretty sure somebody I worked with at one point said double dog dare. So I know that I'm not the only one who's heard this. And so in with that being said, I wanted to uh, shed light as to what this means. So double dog dare um, to up the ante when trying to get someone to do something, not as much as triple dog dare. Okay. (laughs) Example. I emailed Kristen and gave her a double dog dare to beat my many entries on Urban Dictionary. I don't think she could do it. Interesting. Because in the context that I have heard double dog dare, it was more like a I double dare you, right? Like I, I double dare you to do that. But it wasn't to really up the ante. It was more so to emphasize how much you wanted to dare the person. Um, So when somebody said, I double dare you to do this, it was kind of like, listen, like this is a real dare, you know, like it's not a regular dare. Like I want to see if you're going to do this. Um, I expected the definition to be more rich and flavorful. It wasn't as rich and flavorful. It was very bland, very, very bland. Um, But yes, so apparently it means to up the ante when trying to get someone to do something. I mean, I guess it is maybe the same thing. I guess their fancy words kind of tripped me up. 
Um, I guess it is the same thing. So double dog dare, apparently, guys. If you're try, if you really want somebody to take your dare seriously, if you're really trying to push somebody to do something, you don't just say tell them, you know, you don't just dare them. You have to double dog dare them. I am going to do a little more research on this because I want to know where the dog part came in. Like, why is it a double dog dare and not a double cat dare or a double horse dare? You know what I mean? Like, what is it about the dog that made it appropriate to reference in this phrase? Things that make you go, hmm. Either way, (laughs) we are now moving on to one of my favorite segments of the show it is now time for the big up of the week so this week's big up of the week goes to a very very dear friend of mine he's actually been on this show once before with his um with his um, I guess co-founder partner. It's Kelly Pierre. So those of you who do not remember this episode, uh, go back in the archives. I can't remember which number it is, but it was an episode where Kelly Pierre and Lenny Brown came on and talked about their organization, All Access Golf. So Kelly is back in the big up of the week because he was recently uh, appointed as the director of circulation and consumer engagement for African-American Golfers Digest, which is the nation's oldest leading print and digital golf publication serving avid black American golfers. So I really thought that this was so cool because, I mean, I met um, Kelly unrelated to golf I met him um, through a friend several years ago but I've gotten to know him over the years primarily though under the golf umbrella we actually did a golfing event last summer and there were plans to do another one but you know the Rona took over but um Kelly is is a golf enthusiast like I said he has an organization called All Access Golf which is really providing access to kids who normally would have no access to golf, right? Um, and not just really kids. I mean, I know like the program is is more so geared toward kids, but I would say people of color in general, um, golf is not something that black people tend to engage in because it was always seen as a white man sport. It was always seen as a sport of the elite. So even if black people did partake in it, it was it was a very elitist sport. And some might still think it is the same today. But like organizations like Kelly's are really trying to, you know, reshape this idea and present this sport to the community, right? As something that, listen, it's not just a white person's sport. It's not just a rich person's sport. Black people, black people from the inner city, kids can all get in on this too. So um, this is a, a huge accomplishment, I think, for him because again, you know, it it's it's tying together something that he's very passionate about. And now he's in a leadership position. And I think that this will definitely catapult all access golf um to an even even wider um you know playing field even wider sphere so congratulations to you kelly on this appointment um I'm not 100% sure what all that means, what your title. <laughs> I mean, I can assume, um, you know, from some of it, we'll definitely have to have a conversation afterwards and bring you back on the show to talk about this new appointment. But I'm really, really happy for you. Congratulations again and big up to you. So now with every high, there is a low. And this week's low is, um, <laughs> you know, I want I want to say this name on the air, but I'm just not going to play myself today. Uh, but Bill de Blasio, Mary de Blasio, I have I had a cute little name for him, but I'm not trying to have people come after me. So at least not today. I'm not in the mood. Uh, but the womp womp goes to him and he's been a womp womp. He's been a a womp womp on this show several times, actually. Um, he's almost up there. Um, with the NYPD, actually. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I could only say that maybe it's because he is termed out and he's, you know, 
no longer going to be the mayor, you know, come, I guess, next year. And so he doesn't feel the need to do his job or to be respectful or to be politically correct. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what is going on with this man. So I posted um, on my Instagram earlier this week, um, I think it might have been Thursday or whatever, a post um, about Bill de Blasio and his pressuring of teachers to show up for school because, in quotes, it's their job. And so I was scouring the Internet just to see, you know, what else could Mr. de Blasio have said with respect to this to get people so riled up? So, of course, I did my research and I saw an article in the AM New York. And in this article, it was entitled Mayor de Blasio tells public teachers to show up and serve the people. Now, obviously, you know, as journalists, news outlets, we always have to make the title pop, right? So it sometimes sounds a little harsher than it actually is. But I think in this particular case, um, even with the, diff- the, the different articles that I've read around the same topic, I think the idea still is the central theme is that de Blasio is out of his mind. So for those of you who don't follow me on Instagram and have no idea exactly what I'm saying, um, Bill de Blasio is, is under a lot of scrutiny from not just the actual DOE teachers, the, te- you know, the teachers unions and, and various um, elected officials throughout the, uh, the city. So he basically told New York City public school teachers on Thursday to put aside their fears about contracting the novel coronavirus and to rise up to the occasion by returning to school buildings for in-person classes this fall. He also went on to say that, you know, (laughs) answer the call. Our transit workers did. Our first responders did. Our healthcare workers did. Show up and serve the people. That's what our constituents depend on. And that's what parents and kids believe we are here to do. And certainly taxpayers as well. So now there is, <laughs> I don't know this, uh, this man. So I hear what he's saying to an extent, right? Because our transit workers did have to go back to work. They had to service the people, um, our healthcare workers, um, and different, you know, various other industries had to go back, I guess, public servants. And so I guess his thing is, listen, you guys are public servants. If they have to go to work, so do you. But I think the issue here and what makes it a little more scarier and what makes it a little different from MTA workers and, 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 and whatnot is that we're dealing with children, right? We're dealing with children. A lot of these schools are already overcrowded. A lot of these schools have five schools within one building. I don't remember when this model took place, but you literally have buildings that have five different schools, right? Five different set of rules, five different everything. You have schools that have metal detectors. You have, there's so many different aspects to, you know, returning back to school that a lot of people feel that it has not been thoroughly considered. The biggest issue for many people is the fact that the DOE has not really put together a comprehensive plan to go back to work. I don't know what the plan was with transit. Healthcare workers is another story. I mean, they kind of did sign up to treat illnesses, right? It's a, it's a different story. These teachers signed up to teach kids not to risk their lives from a, you know, from a virus that is spreading like wildfire. And we all know reports have shown that children, these little children are carriers, um, can be carriers of this disease without having any types of symptoms. So you're, they're coming to school, they're not sneezing, there's no fever, but that doesn't mean that they don't have the virus and can give it to abuela and abuelo and whoever else lives at home. That's always been the concern, which is why I, I recall school was shut down to begin with in March. Now, I understand that the numbers have been pretty stable in New York, thanks to King Cuomo. No, thanks to you, Mr. de Blasio. But um, flu season's upon us. We've already been warned of a potential second wave. Um, and even if there isn't a second wave, right, flu season is upon us. 
are they testing these children every week or every two weeks to see if they have the coronavirus? Like, how are you going to differentiate between a flu and the coronavirus or a sniffle, common cold and the coronavirus? Like how like none of none of this is has been presented. I haven't heard anything about children being tested every week or every other week to even know whether or not they have it or not. I haven't heard anything about teachers being tested. Um it's just a whole hot mess. So we want the kids to go back to school. We want the teachers to subject themselves um, to a class full of snot-nosed kids, you know, especially when you're dealing with the younger grades. It's problematic because there is nothing put in place. And I, I one of my friends, Demi Dabadi, she said the plan is no official plan. And I think that's that's where the concern is. And that's where I mean, I feel like the teachers and everybody else who's rallying against this start of school, they have a valid point. And I know that de Blasio has been presented with the um, with the I guess the possibility of starting school at least a month later in October. And he has said no. Now, of course, the larger issue, and I think the real reason for this push to have kids back in school is because of the economy. New York City's economy is not doing the best right now. And I don't know what it's going to look like come the end of the year or even Q1 of next year. Right. We don't know. Um, but what we do know at this point is that the economy is not where it needs to be and you know, people are saying and I've seen articles that doing business with New York is not uh, is not what's up at this point. Um, we have whole zip codes in Manhattan that have disappeared to the Hamptons, Connecticut, Florida and all these other states. Right. And all these other other locales. That's not New York City. So they're trying to reboost. They're trying to revitalize New York City, understandably so. But what you're not going to do is sacrifice the teachers and the children. This is not the Hunger Games. I feel like more and more that we are living in a in a modern day um hunger game situation i feel like this this lack of planning and lack of real concern for the well-being of the teachers and the kids it's it's a classic hunger game situation it's a classic and if you have not seen or read these books people i i implore you to do so because i feel like you will like all a lot of the things that are happening now are going to be like wait I read this in the book. You'll be able to tell the future. Um, but I digress. The womp womp of the week is the Blasio because he keeps coming out. I mean, if you didn't believe he went to clown school before, I feel like at this point um, you, you should be convinced because this is ridiculous. If there was a plan of action, a real plan, I think that people would be a little more comfortable, but he made statements. And I think this might've been in the New York post article where he's like, listen, it's, it's, um, it's common to have unresolved questions and, and unresolved issues, you know, prior to the start of any school year. Yes, that would be acceptable if this was just any school year. This is not any school year. This is the school year where kids are coming back after not being in school for God knows how long while we are still in a global pandemic that is still killing people, that is still being spread, that has the potential of getting even worse now that we're entering um flu season we're talking about little snot-node kids who cannot keep their hands to themselves i mean it's it's a lot going on and so this 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 statement of well you know there's always going to be unresolved i don't i i we have to do better you you had the entire summer to figure out something more comprehensive and it almost seems to me that people were just twiddling their thumbs and dealing with other issues. I feel like education is always on the back burner when it comes to New York City. Um, and prop, I mean, I'm sure places, you know, all over the country will say the same thing. But it seems like education is always like at the back burner. There's never any real effort, planning, considerations that are done for it. They're worried about the economy. They're worried about money. They're worried about property. They're worried about, you know, rent and evictions and all that stuff is important. But when it comes to planning for the children and planning for the safety of the children and the teachers and the school based support staff and cleaners and like everybody that that goes into this world of education, it just doesn't seem that 
it's of utmost priority, which is why they can say things like, oh, you know, things we don't need to have real plans. I mean, there's always things that are left undone. We'll just figure it out. But this is it's a different situation. These are different times. Um, and he really needs I mean, I don't like I said, he's on his way out. So maybe he just doesn't care. Maybe that's what it is. But I feel like even before this, he's just been rogue. And I don't know. I just I just think that at this point, the community the elected officials, I think that they need to really band together, the unions band together and take a stand. I mean, I don't know what what King Cuomo is thinking. From what I understand, he is not necessarily a fan of this, you know, reopening plan right now. But at the end of the day, you know, politics is politics. They got to play their own own things as well, too. I think he's kind of staying out of this a little bit. But we have to kind of take over because if not, then. Our teachers are going to be at risk. Our kids are going to be at risk. And it's just going to be a whole hot mess. So that is my long-winded womp womp of the week. (laughs) And so now before we get into the meat of the show, we have a quick word from our sponsors. So My Secret Organics is a natural skincare company. They source their products straight from Africa and they test their products with people like you and me for quality. Check out their website at www.mysecretorganics.com. I also kind of wanted to go in a little bit about their product because I know that I have, um, you know, talked about what I've seen on the website and, and some of the things that they that they offer. But I think, again, it's really important to know. So the products that they have, like black soap, shea butter, and turmeric, they are all sourced directly from Africa. A lot of times we have companies, you know, we don't know where the hell these things are coming from, right? But these products are sourced directly from Africa. And then all the products are then handcrafted by the founder in Atlanta. So this is a real for us, by us company. And so it is really important that when we are spending our dollars that we know where our products are coming from, right? And so here we have products that are coming directly from Africa. These ingredients are coming directly from the motherland and they are being handcrafted in Atlanta by one of our own. So again, guys, please make sure that you go and you support this wonderful company, My Secret Organics. Again, natural skincare, no chemicals, tested on people like you and me. Check out their website, www.mysecretorganics.com. Do not forget, join the mailing list, get your 10% off on everything that you shop. So today, as I said earlier, I just wanted to kind of, I don't want to say get things off my chest, but I wanted to address something that I'm noticing. I am noticing that the momentum that we had back in March and April and even May is slowly starting to die. I thought it was just me, but I spoke to a couple of my friends. And again, you know, I scour the interwebs and and, and the Instagrams. And there is definitely a change. Um, There is definitely a decrease in in posts that are calling people to action. Um, There is a decrease in, in videos and stuff that I would see that was, you know, speaking truth and Uh, speaking light um, to our people. And it's really concerning because the fight is not over. The fight is still going on. We are still unequal in this country. We are still uh, disenfranchised. We are still oppressed. Um, We are still being beat up on. None of that has changed. I know that there's probably been a little, a little break with the police brutality, but, Police brutality is not the only thing that is plaguing our community. It's not the only it's not the only barometer. It's not the only measure of inequality and racism in our country. Right. And in our communities, Uh, there are a lot of things that is going on in our community that deserves our attention. And I feel like we are not 
living up to this idea of being our brother's keepers and being our sister's keepers, right? We are not global citizens. We are not national citizens. We're not even community citizens. A lot of us just really want to be on our own and do our own thing. And I get it because times are hard and everybody is going through a struggle right now, whether it be unemployment, whether it be health, whether it just be, you know, just everyday um, trials and tribulations that you're constantly fighting within yourself. I mean, everybody has something that's going on. But at the end of the day, everybody has something that's going on. It doesn't mean that you know, despite the stuff that we might be dealing with, you know, on an individual basis, it doesn't mean that we let go of what's happening in the community. It doesn't mean that we, you know, sit back and be silent on issues that's happening right outside of our front door. Right. I mean, gun violence is something that has always been around. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden there's gun violence, but Statistics show that gun violence is up. There is an uptick. There is an increase. And many people can say that, well, it's because the NYPD is taking a break and whatnot. If, is that, a, is that a, a consideration? I don't know. Maybe, possibly. But there's still an issue of gun violence in our communities. And it's not just Brooklyn, although these streets are real. Um, but Chicago you know, Florida, Atlanta, LA, like, you know, pretty much where the inner cities are is where you're seeing a lot of this gun violence. And it's, it's plaguing our communities and it's destroying our future. It's wiping out our future. And that's an interesting concept because when I thought about it, I was like wiping out the future, not wiping out uh, our parents' generation, not wiping out this current generation. We are wiping out a generation that really hasn't even came, come to maturity yet. A generation that has not even come to real fruition yet. That generation is being wiped out. And it's, it, it's a scary thing to think about. It's hard to fathom that we, we are watching a future generation get wiped out before they even get started. And it's sad What's more so sad is just the lack of, um, I don't know, the lack of involvement from the community. I mean, every community has their leaders, right? There's always the few that are standing up, you know, to talk about, you know, violence in the communities and inequalities and, and things of that nature. There's always just a select few. And it's problematic that it's only a select few. Like you can name who your community leaders are. And that that for me is problematic. We shouldn't even be able to name them. It should be everybody in whatever capacity that they can come together to help out the community. It might it doesn't even have to be the community in which you are from. But as a black person, I feel like it is incumbent on all of us to take black issues seriously. Whether you made it out of the hood and you live in a posh neighborhood and you feel like you're not connected, you're black at the end of the day. And so if your brother is suffering, if your sister is dying, that is your cause. It is your cause. This like, you know, and, and then there are people who are like, you know, when you come at them like this, you know, they have this, this idea. Well, it's like, it's not my fault. It's not my issue. It's not my problem. If people want to live their lives in a particular way, because I was able to get out or I was able to make something out of myself, you know, if they want to continue down a path of destruction, that's on them. Is there a little bit of merit to that? Maybe possibly, but I think that people fail to understand that we live in a society and in a country where the system is there to set us up to fail, regardless of our socioeconomic class, if we're really honest. Um, when the police officers are, are spraying bullets, they're not like, ooh, let me see your PhD, right? They don't ask these questions. They just spray their bullets and whoever gets caught gets caught. And we've seen that manifest over the last couple of months only, right? When we've seen college kids you know, get manhandled by the police and grown ass, you know, women and men, professionals get pepper sprayed, elected officials getting pepper sprayed and maced and and manhandled by the police, like our own senators and our own council people in New York City. I mean, this is like actual footage. And so it's problematic for me when people think that black issues in general are not their issues because they have found a way to quote unquote overcome. But have we really overcome? 
you know, when we're thinking about overcoming, what, 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 ex- what exactly, you know, is your definition of overcome and what exactly did you overcome? Right. I mean, a lot of us, yes. Have we climbed obstacles and, and, and mountains to get where we are? Yes. I'm an attorney. I went through a lot to get to where I am today. I mean, Maybe one day I'll write a book. I don't know. But I've sacrificed so much. And sometimes I think about it and it does make me tear a little bit. You know, I'm not a crier, but it does make me tear to see where I've come from, how far, how hard it was to get to where I am and how many times that I was about to give up. But God, right. Yes, we have these individual struggles. We've accomplished so much within our own selves. You know, we should be proud, but that pride shouldn't put us in a position where we're now looking down on others who either, even if they had the same opportunity to make something of themselves, quote unquote, again, you know, societal forces are really hard to fight sometimes, right? Not everybody has that will. And the system is truly there to set us up from the moment that we step foot in a classroom, regardless of if you were raised in the inner city or in the suburbs or in the rural areas, whatever. As a black person, you got it wherever it is that you went. Right. And it's been a it's a task to be black in this country. It is a struggle to be black in this country, regardless of how much fame, fortune and status and accolades that you've you've accumulated. And I think that we as a community. Community is also something that I find that's interesting because I don't know if the black community is really a community because we don't really operate as a community. We don't. We don't work together collectively. There's always some sort of infighting. There's always some sort of issues. It's like it's always like, what are we prioritizing first? There's a lot of issues that we need to resolve collectively as a people before we could even really claim that we're community. And so I just feel like, you know, right now we're in a state of crisis for so many things. We're in a health crisis, um, particularly for people of color. We're in a, you know, I, I don't know what to call it, but, the, you know, the, the gun violence is seen as an epidemic. Some people find it to be in a pandemic, right? Um, There is this overall race and inequality issue in general. So outside of healthcare, outside of, you know, gun violence, there's just this race and inequality issue within this community um, or within this space rather that still, we still have to deal with. Black people are still not being treated fairly. Black women are definitely not getting paid their value and their worth. There are just so many minor some, some might be minor, some might be major, but there's just so many issues. And I use the word minor because there are issues that are greater than others. But at the end of the day, whether they're major or minor, an issue is an issue within our community. There's just so many of them. It's like hard to really categorize them. And so, you know, I don't say I don't want to say minor to make it seem like these issues don't um, deserve, uh, I guess, attention. But when we're dealing with so many issues, it's almost as if you kind of have to rank them to see what is more important to deal with now. Um, But I wanted to just, I guess, come on and just have this brief talk um, with respect to this need to not let the momentum die. I feel like every so often we have this opportunity to seize to make some sort of change. And we and we start off doing it. We start off hard. I mean, protests are all over the place. We are donating to organizations. We are, you know, coming in the communities. We are giving speeches. We are rallying people. We are, you know, getting organizations together to help people on grassroots levels. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing, amazing thing. But then... Like always, when the trouble, quote unquote, dies down. So when the police brutality seems to be taking a little break, um, you know, people feel as if like people feel comfortable again. People feel, I guess, safe again. Or, I mean, ideally, they feel safe again. Um, 
when the you know when the blocks are not as hot in a sense when like the drama is not really being showcased so much in the mainstream media people seem to think that the drama has ended they think that the inequalities have disappeared the racism has disappeared the brutality has disappeared and all of the the ills right all of the wrongs have been righted and that's not the case it only takes another public shooting from the police uh, because for whatever reason, when we're killing our own, that's not necessarily a point of concern. I mean, the other day I saw a video circulating with two bodies uh, right there, not too far from where I am. And it's, I don't even know if it made mainstream news. I know it made, you know, street street and Instagram news, but I don't even know if it made any of the real news channels. And if it did, it was probably given a two second slot. And that was that because there's just so much of it happening. It's like we can't keep up with all these bodies. Right. Just know that it's happening. And that's concerning. But, you know, I feel like because the mainstream media doesn't really push out all of this, you know, they don't, they don't keep these things in our faces. We think that everything is good and that all is great with the world and that black people are good again. We were never good, but there's this idea, I guess that we, you know, there's things that are bad that happen. And then after that, after a while, after a couple of protests, after, after a couple of, you know, performative arts, then, you know, we're back to normal. We're back and, you know, this types of uh, this type of, I guess, complacency um, is very detrimental to our advancement and our development as people. Right. Um, so for me, I just want you all who are listening to figure out what you need to do. What are your talents? Like, what are you good at? What are you not good at? Like, figure out what your place is in this fight for not just justice and equality um, from the man, but, you know, what is your place in ensuring that we truly have community within our black people, right? Within, within us, how do you ensure that we have community? How do we, you know, we hear take back the block and all this other stuff, but how are we really doing that? You know, the other day I was with a group of dynamic individuals, men from the Flatbush section of Brooklyn, and we were just talking about gun violence and just figuring out different ways that we can address this issue and, and find solutions. Right. And I mean, the ideas that were coming out were amazing, you know, working with the children, working, you know, with parents, teaching kids um, things like cryptocurrency and, 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 and things of that nature. And like just really just trying to pour into these children and showing them that there is another way, that there is another side, right? That it's not just about um, the streets. It's not just about, you know, their current situations, but that there are, that there is a light um, at the end of the tunnel for them. And just really figuring out how do we strengthen um, these neighborhoods, right? How do we go back to being our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper? You know, as kids from different eras, you know, you could be running down the block and the entire block was your parent. The entire, you know, community at that time, I believe that there was a community, was your keeper, Um Sure, was there violence? Of course there was, but there was a sense of understanding. You know, parents weren't afraid to have their kids leave the house so much. You know, they trusted their neighbors. They knew that they had a sense of, of real community at that point. And that's something that's lost right now. You don't see that type of camaraderie, that type of neighborhood watch that was going on back in the day. So how do we reestablish that? How do we get people to care about their neighbors again? Because right now we live in a, you know, society where I don't care what happens in apartment, you know, 4K, that's right next to me. I don't care what happens to the person that lives across the street from me. I don't care about, you know, it's about me. And it can't be about you, the individual, if we're talking about advancing us as a people, advancing us economically, advancing us educationally, advancing us spiritually even. That's not something that we can do individually and in silos. And so 
my call to action to all of you is to seriously think about what you can contribute to this greater plan of really building a real community. We talk about it, we criticize, we compare ourselves to others like, oh, look at the Jewish people, look at the Spanish people, look at the Asian people. At some point, we need to stop looking and we need to really figure out how to do and we're all guilty of it. But it, this rhetoric, this, this, you know, well, the Asians know how to get it together. So so we know that they know how to get it together. All right. Well, when are we going to stop focusing on, you know, this idea that they know how to get it together and figure out, OK, well, how can we get it together? Maybe instead of just saying that they get it together and, you know, let's focus on maybe what are some principles that they're using? What are some what are some things that they're doing that's allowing this togetherness? Right. How do we then implement that into our community? I mean, there's so many of us. Black people are the number one consumers in this country. There's no reason why we should not be on top. There's no reason why we should not be as competitive with all of these other cultures that we keep comparing ourselves to. There's no reason why we shouldn't be thriving. Right. Um but there is a reason. <laughs> the reason is the systematic racism, the oppression and all this other stuff that we have to figure out how to get um, ahead of. We have to be able to collectively come together and say enough is enough. We have power, right? If we mobilize ourselves and we become a collective, we will be powerful enough for them to reckon with us, right? But if we continue to work in silos and we continue to have, well, this block has a nonprofit, that block has a nonprofit, this queen's got five nonprofit. Like if everybody's working independently and not collaboratively, we're, we're never going to be that that force to be reckoned with. We're never going to be that powerhouse. Our issue is that everybody wants to be the top. Everybody wants to be the CEO. Everybody wants to be the first. And sometimes you have to be like, you know what? I'm going to volunteer to be the last this time because I see that my sister and my brother is a little bit further and I want to be able to give them support. I'm going to wait my turn. Let me use my resources to further my sister who I think, you know, I think I, I see her vision. I see what she's doing. I'll use my resources. We can work collaboratively together or you know what? I can help her for now while I'm waiting my turn. We don't want to wait our turns and we don't want to, we don't want to work collaboratively if we're not going to get some sort of credit. I think that if we, were to put ourselves to the side and really think about the global issue, the bigger picture, which is developing a community, I think we would go so far. We don't all need our names on the script. We don't, you know, and that's what I think really separates a true leader from somebody who's just looking to social climb. Somebody who's like, I just want to be part of the project. I just want to help out however I can. I don't need the credit. I don't need my name to be on the script. I'm just here to help as opposed to somebody who will not help unless they get a shout out, unless they get a, a you know, executive producer credit, unless they get a byline. Like we have to stop thinking like that or else we're going to be doomed. And I feel like that mentality is what's kind of destroying whatever is happening now. The momentum is dying because I think a lot of people were doing just to be seen. And now that the mainstream media has kind of taken their eyes off of, you know, the, the race and inequality issue, the justice issue in our, in our, you know, in, I keep saying community, but it is what it is in our communities in quotes, because I still don't think we're really a community. Um, they've taken the mainstream media has taken their focus off of these black issues for the most part. And so those individuals who are doing just to be seen, just to get credit, just to be, you know, popular, whatever they were looking for, just for the accolades, they have now stepped back. Because the, the limelight is not there. The shine is no longer there. The spotlight is now focused somewhere else. So they're like, all right, well, I don't got time for this anymore. And so we're seeing that the momentum is dying. And we need to not, like, we need to not let that happen. We need to strengthen, you know, the leaders that are actually out here in these streets doing by lending them, whether it be actual support, volunteer hours, money, whatever it is. Um, we need to really have elected officials who actually care about the communities and not their elected official titles. 
Um, we need to see, you know, more nonprofits working together as opposed to five nonprofits doing the same damn thing for the same damn block. There just needs to be more collectivity. There needs to be more, co you know, coerciveness, not coerciveness, cohesiveness, <laughs> cohesiveness. Um, there just needs to be more more togetherness, true togetherness, more collaboration in order for us to really move forward. But in the meantime, we have to figure out how to keep the the thumb on the pulse, how to, you know, keep the momentum going, how to, you know, keep keep the loudspeaker on. We can't allow these issues to be, you know, buried under a rug or swept under a rug um, as they've been each time. Every time somebody dies, there is an uproar. Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Sandra Bland, the name, you know, Philando Castile. Every time someone is shot and killed, there is an uproar. We're burning down cities. We're doing all this other stuff. And then when the dust settles, when the ashes settle, and when the smell of the smoke is no more, then we're back to regular life. And we put the, the movement on pause until it you know needs to be revived again and we're never going to get anywhere if that's how we're operating so let's do better people and that goes for me too you know we all need to do better we all need to to, to figure out how to to be better when it comes to this fight be better citizens be better neighbors be better brothers and sisters to each other see ourselves as brothers and sisters and not just that person over there or that stranger over there try to understand where other people are coming from let's not turn our noses down on those who seemingly um have less than us right um because where they lack in material things they might be rich in spirit whereas you have material things and you have no spirit whatsoever so we have to be able to really you know be one with each other let's understand where people are coming from let's not cast so much doubt and judgment on people's situations and and whatnot because life is hard life is very difficult and what might seem to be easy for you is not for somebody else because you don't know what their struggles are so let's just be better toward each other let's be better for society and let's really build toward making an actual thriving community so everyone <laughs> with that being said i know that was a lot um, and i said that this wasn't going to be a long show but apparently i am uh, approaching an hour so <laughs> i guess i had a lot to say but either way guys before we end i just want to give you guys one more word from our sponsors so again my secret organics natural skincare companies they source their products from africa their their ingredients are from africa their black soap their shea butter their turmeric and they are made with love handcrafted in atlanta georgia make sure that you take the time to go to the website if you don't like black soap, that's fine. Your mother might like black soap. Your husband might like black soap. They Everybody needs shea butter in their life. We are approaching the winter season and we need to moisturize and lock in that moisture in our bodies. Shea butter is one of those um, butters that really does the trick to trap in moisture particularly in the winter months. So you want to be able to stock up on that now. So Go to the website, www.mysecretorganics.com. Join the mailing list. Get your 10% off. Stock up for the winter, guys, because I don't know what winter's looking like this year, but <laughs> I wouldn't wait to find out. So definitely support these businesses, support these black businesses. We're talking about community, building community supporting people, making sure that, you know, economically we are sound and that that is done by supporting these black businesses. It's done by pouring into these black businesses that are, you know, that are working for you, right? They could have been making black soap for themselves, but they're doing it for the collective. So with that being said, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of According to RP on WJMS Radio. It's your girl, Rita Pierre, and I will talk to you guys next week. You were listening to According to RP on WJMS Radio. About time you tuned in. Tune in each and every Sunday. I can't wait to come back.